Well, greetings and God bless everyone. We are so excited that you are here. I want to add my welcome to the ones that you have already received in this service. And I just want to thank you so much for welcoming us into your home as we welcome you as virtual guests into our online worship experience. And I don't know about you. I know a lot of people are saying that the online uh, format is maybe a little bit different for us and, and maybe a little bit frustrating because we can't meet in person. And I so miss our church uh, but I'm really starting to embrace the online format. I know that there are some people who are watching and who are attending our service today that probably would never have the opportunity uh, to come to a physical service uh, here at New Dimension. So I just want to welcome you. I want to welcome our dedicated, committed members as well. And I just want to start this time with a word of prayer. So wherever you are, I pray that this would bless you, would encourage you, would open up your hearts as we get ready to receive what God is going to say to us in his word. Lord God, we reverence your presence in this place. We recognize how good you are. We recognize how transcendent you are. And even social distancing, even the rules and regulations that force us to quarantine or isolate ourselves, they are not capable of distracting and pushing us away from your presence. There is no distance in your spirit. So God, we ask that your presence would invade every single home that would be present. God, those who need encouragement, I pray that you would show yourself as a God who is the lifter of all of our heads. Those who need supplies and those who need certain things in their, in their hearts and in their minds, I pray that you would show yourself as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. God, those who need healing, I pray that you would show yourself as Jehovah Rapha. I pray that you would show yourself as the God who is present and there, Jehovah Shammah. God, we thank you for how amazing you are. And now as we open up your word, I pray that our hearts would be wide open to whatever you would have to say, that you would plant the seeds of the gospel deep into the soil of our soul, that we may bear much fruit. We'll give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise because you are worthy of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, wherever you're watching, amen. Men. We are going to cover a familiar passage of scripture today. It is found in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 17. And we started last week a sermon series entitled Back to the Future. Back to the Future. And I gave some background as to why I feel the Lord has led me to preach on this last week. But there's been this cultural idea, this concept that we have to do something new. So many people are saying that the church has, has got to do something new. The church has to innovate. And I believe that's true in a practical sense, true in a material sense, true in a methodological sense. But the reality is, I believe that God isn't necessarily just calling us to something new, but he's calling us to reclaim something old. And so I said last week as a, as a framing statement for this entire series that new things don't fix old problems. New things don't fix old problems. As a matter of fact, I believe God wants us to carry the ancient past into a new moment. I believe what God has actually called us to is not a discovery, but a recovery. Not an innovation, but actually a reclamation. Primarily, he's calling us not to a new formula, but to an ancient path. And we talked about last week this principle of Sankofa, which literally translated means go back and get it. Go back and get it. And the proverb that's attached to this African phrase, uh, this African concept of Sankofa, it says, it is not wrong to go back for that which you have forgotten. It's not wrong to go back to the things that we have been told to do. And I believe God is calling us not to new, but God is calling us to something that has existed for the entirety of humanity. God is calling us to an ancient path. 
And so as we talk about Back to the Future, I want to preach a message today entitled Go Back Home. I want to start by taking a look at some of the go back scriptures and some of the go back passages throughout the Bible. And there's a very familiar passage in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 will start in verse 17. And Jesus is speaking. He's telling a parable. And he says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I want you to type in the comments the sermon title once again, go back home. Go back home. Now, if we're going to talk about back to the future and we're going to do a true throwback, then I have to talk about some of the things that I enjoyed as a child. There were certain things that I really enjoyed in my childhood, and each week, I'll try to show you just a little bit of something that I enjoyed when I was growing up, and you can join me and holler at me in the comments if you feel it, but one of my favorite television shows growing up, and it was actually probably my favorite show for an extended period of time. It was a sitcom that ran from 1989 to 1998. And it was about a black family that was living in a Chicago suburb trying to figure out what it means to be a true family. Of course, I, if I could sing, I would sing the intro theme music for you, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to hurt your ears. Of course, I'm talking about the show Family Matters. Anybody enjoy the show Family Matters? I want you to put your favorite Family Matters character in the comments. I want you to do that right now. Put your favorite Family Matters character in the comments because there are so many. Of course, you had Carl Winslow, the patriarch of the household. You had Harriet Winslow, the, the matriarch of the household. Of course, you had Eddie and Laura. You had, um, you had a number of different characters. And of course, you know, I, I wanted to kind of hold off. I wanted to kind of talk about all the other characters, but I can't help but, but talk about the main character, the character who actually wasn't intended to be one of the recurring characters. His name, of course, is Steve Urkel. And Steve Urkel was this bumbling but yet brilliant character. He was this character that was known for being clumsy. And, and you know, every sitcom has its gag. Every sitcom has that little thing that it does on a recurring basis. And Steve Urkel would do this thing where whenever he would mess something up, he would ask a question. And some of you already know the question. The question is, did I do that? Did I do that in his nasally tone with his glasses and his high water pants and his, and his suspenders? He would say, did I do that? And it would be so frustrating for people like Carl Winslow that he started to say this phrase again and again, and it became the number one phrase on Family Matters. He would say, Steve, go home, go home, go home. You remember this, right? He would say, go home, go home, go home, go home. And everybody would laugh because that was the familiar gag of Family Matters. And the truth of the matter is it was funny, but actually Steve eventually started to take agency over himself. Apparently he got hip to the game and Steve, he started to respond to Carl's admonition for him to go home, go home, go home by saying this, I don't have to take this anymore, I'm going home. Now Steve would take the things that he saw around him, the, the, the imperative from Carl Winslow, the patriarch of the household, the man of the house, and, and he would push it back upon him. He would say, no, I'm not going to look around and listen to what you're saying, but actually I'm going to take agency over myself. And it's, you know, it's a funny statement. It's Steve trying to push it back on the person who's trying to kick him out of his house, but the reality is there's a powerful concept in this phrase. I don't have to take this anymore. I'm 
I'm going home. Might I submit to you that in all of our lives, we will reach a point, we will reach a season, we will reach a situation or a circumstance where we will look around at our lives and say, I don't have to take this anymore. I don't have to deal with this anymore. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it's a situationship. Maybe there are different things that you're going through right now. Perhaps it's a job. Perhaps it's a connection. And there are times in our lives where we will look around and have to say, I'm not going to take this anymore. I'm going home. And the reality of the matter is that many of us need to go back home. I'll never forget the, the brilliant Nigerian writer, Chimamanda Adichie. And she wrote this, this piercing quote in one of her books. She said, I think you travel to search and you come back home to find yourself there. She said, you travel to search, but you come back home to find yourself there. And I believe that all of us are searching for home. All of us are searching for a place, not a physical location, but all of us are searching for some sort of home. And, and when I talk about these things, of course, I'm not talking about the place where you grew up because the place where some of us grew up, most of us don't ever want to go back to again. The place where some of us grew up is a place of abuse or a place of, of frustration or a place of rejection or a place of abandonment. But I believe that home is metaphorical. Home is spiritual. Home is the place of belonging and fulfillment. Home is the place where you can truly be at rest. More importantly, maybe most importantly, home is the place where God is. Home is the place where you can be most in tune with your creator and God is always welcoming us back home because so many of us have strayed to new places and new territories and new philosophies and new theories and new ideas and God is saying when will you come back home you don't have to take what's going on in the world you don't have to take what they tell you and what they give you I need you to come back home I want you to type in the comments come back home come back home and the reality is many of us have abandoned our search perhaps you're watching you're not a believer Perhaps you're watching, you're not someone who's consistently in church. God welcomes you back home. God welcomes you to come back to the place where you would truly belong, where you would truly be fulfilled, where you would truly have completeness and wholeness. Perhaps you're a seasoned saint. Perhaps you've been in church since the day you got out of the womb. Perhaps you can quote all of the Bible backwards and forwards. Perhaps you know all the right hymns and all the right social cues. But can I just submit to you, just because you've been in church your whole life doesn't mean you're truly at a place of home, doesn't mean you're truly at a place of belonging and fulfillment. God also welcomes you back home. He welcomes the millennials to come back home. He welcomes the boomers to come back home. Gen X, Gen Z. He welcomes the builder generation to come back home. He welcomes all ethnicities. He welcomes all socioeconomic backgrounds. He welcomes all denominations. He welcomes all parts of the world. He says, all of you come back home. Come home to the place where you will truly belong. And some of us have to be honest with ourselves and we have to acknowledge the fact that we have strayed in one way, shape, or form or another. This might be literal, might be metaphorical, might be spiritual, might be ideological, but some of us are honest enough to admit, I need to go back home. Once again, type it in the comments, come back home. And there's no better story of home than Luke chapter 15, the parable of what many people call the prodigal son. And it's intimidating to preach it, I have to be honest with you, because it's one of the greatest stories ever told. It's a powerful tale, powerful tale of father and son, powerful tale of rejection and acceptance, a powerful tale 
of what God is willing to do with us. And, and we see here Jesus starts and begins by telling the story. Luke chapter 15, it's very interesting. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And he says this, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Verse 13 says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. Pay attention to these two words, all he had. Set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be, another two-word phrase, pay attention to, in need. He began to be in need. Now, remember, the father had given him money, had given him his share of the estate, and he went and took all that he had, first phrase, and then eventually he became in need, second phrase. I want to give you two things, two reasons why you need to go back home. That's it. Just two reasons, two points, and then we'll get out of your way. Two reasons why you need to go back home. The first, are you ready? Go back home because at home there is fullness for your emptiness. There is fullness for your emptiness. Now, now I want you to zoom in on verse 12 in Luke chapter 15 where the younger son looks at the father and says, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, now, this is noticeable in the context of the culture that they inhabit. In that time, you must understand how disrespectful this is, and scholars have talked about what this really meant and what were the sur surrounding circumstances. Jesus doesn't give us a backstory. He doesn't give us all of the character plot to fill in these, these characters in the parable, but, but the reality is that the young son looked at his father and said, I want what's owed to me. I want what's mine. I want what you can give me. He see, according to him, him and his father apparently had some sort of transactional relationship, not a covenantal relationship. I'll get to that later. But, but apparently it seems like the son looked at his father and essentially said, I don't want to wait till you die. I would rather just take it right now. Now, now imagine how disrespectful that is. It's essentially saying, I wish you were dead. I wish I could take what was mine. So just go ahead and give it to me. Just go ahead and divide the property between me and my brother. I need to get out of here. And, and taking it a step further, it, it was interesting because some scholars say that the, the even more disrespectful part is not that he received part of his inheritance. It's that it was turned into liquidatable capital. It was turned into some assets that he could take and use and spend frivolously. So he's saying, all that you've worked for, all that you've sacrificed for me, all that you've done, all that you've toiled for, all of your estate, I'm just going to take it, I'm going to blow it at the casino. I'm going to take it and I'm going to blow it at the bar. I'm going to take it and I'm going to blow it at the club. I'll do whatever I want to do with it. And it seems as though the son didn't realize something. The son, in the midst of receiving his inheritance, in the midst of getting what he wanted, in the midst of possessing what he felt like he was owed, the son forgot this reality. The son forgot the reality that at some point in time, everyone will be empty. Did you hear me? At some point in time, everyone will find themselves empty. At some times, you know, we find ourselves empty because of our decisions. Sometimes we've made poor decisions. Sometimes we've set ourselves up improperly. Sometimes we have fallen into sin. Sometimes we have fallen into destructive, regressive patterns. Sometimes we have fallen into habits that are actually self-destructive. And sometimes it is our own choices that leave us empty. Have you ever been there? 
Are you perhaps there right now realizing that you're eating from the fruit of a tree that was, that was born in something that's actually destructive? That you're eating from something that's actually harming you? That you're experiencing something that you wouldn't wish upon your worst enemy? And it's not that they did it. It's not because someone else did something. It's not because someone else forced you. It's the reality is I've done it myself. I took everything that I had and I squandered it in, in wild living. I squandered it in something that wouldn't amount to anything. I squandered it in earthly pursuits rather than putting it away for eternal purposes. And, and God is saying sometimes you have to realize that you are forcing yourself to be empty. Who am I talking to? Who is the person that has stumbled upon this live stream and you realize, oh, he's talking about me. He's talking about what I've experienced. He's talking about maybe what I'm going through now or what I anticipate going through later. The reality is sometimes we will force ourselves into emptiness. And then other times, I want you to hear this, life will force you into emptiness. On the one hand, we can force ourselves into emptiness. And then on the other hand, life can force us into emptiness. Take a look at the text, verse 14. It says, after he had spent everything, that's him, there was a severe famine in that whole country. That's outside of his control. And he began to be in need. The reality is everyone will be empty. And sometimes the emptiness that we experience, the emptiness that we feel and that we're undergoing right now is not our fault. In the midst of the pandemic, you have to understand, you have to give yourself grace, you have to give yourself mercy, you have to receive that from God because everything that's happening in our world is not your fault. Sometimes we get laid off, sometimes we get furloughed, sometimes a relationship ends and we didn't do anything. Sometimes something happens to our kids or something happens to our loved ones. Sometimes there are, there are outside mitigating circumstances that are far beyond our control. And so sometimes I will force myself into emptiness and other times life will force me into emptiness and it's outside of my control and I can't get bogged down with this idea. But the reality is, church, at some point in time, everyone will be empty. Dare I say right now, every single one of us in one or more areas of our lives, we are living on empty. We are living on empty. The son realizes after he had squandered his wealth away, after there was a great famine, after he admitted that he was in need, the son realized that he was empty. But there's good news for this. You ready for the good news? That's the bad news. There's good news for you. Yes, at some point in time, everyone will be empty. Good news is this. God is full wherever you're empty. Did you hear what I just said? God is full wherever you're empty. The young son had to come to the end of himself to realize that his father had everything that he needed. The young son had to get to his bottom to realize that there was more. There was a different place for him to rise in his father's household. Do you realize, church, that wherever you lack, God has abundance. Wherever you're weak, God is strong. Wherever you are in deficit, God has a surplus. God is full wherever you're empty. This is good news because our God, we believe according to his attributes, our God has infinite attributes. Our God has infinite resources. Our God has infinite presence. Our God has infinite power, infinite wisdom. Our God is infinite and God is infinite, which is good news for us because we suffer from scarcity. We go to the stores and realize that there's nothing on the shelves. We go to our gas stations and we have to sit in line sometimes. We realize that maybe the power will get cut off. We realize 
realize that our money will run out, but I'm here to tell you that God's resources, God's storehouse never runs out. God is never empty. God is never in a deficit. God is never in debt. God is never lacking. And wherever you're empty, God is full. Can I encourage you today, whenever you have discouragement, God is full of joy. Where you have confusion, God is full of clarity. Where you have anger, God is full of self-control. Where you have hatred and malice, God is full of everlasting love. Where you have judgmentalism, God is full of grace and mercy. Where you have turmoil, God is full of peace. Where you have lack, God is full of provision. Where you have sickness, God is full of healing. Where you have brokenness, God is full of wholeness. God is full wherever you're empty. And this is the great truth of Jesus because God welcomes all of us to come no matter what our emptiness may be, no matter in what category, no matter how dark, no matter how dismal, no matter how dreary it may seem, God says, I am full wherever you are empty. Can I give a a word of encouragement to our young people, to our millennials, Generation Z? I just want to encourage you with something I wish I would have realized sooner in my life. I want you to lean into this reality. You know, in your life, there will be lots of transitions. There will be lots of frustrations. There will be lots of different relationships, lots of different job opportunities. You will have successes and failures. You will go up and down. There will be roller coasters in your life, and you'll look around, and you'll be tempted to leave your position in God. Can I I encourage you with something? This is for the young people, okay? Y'all can glean it. Anybody can glean it, but this is just for my young people. I want you to hear me. God has always been greatest when I am at my emptiest. God has always been greatest when I am at my emptiest. God has always been closest when I am at my lowest. God has always been most sure when I am most confused. And so I want to encourage you. Maybe some of you are frustrated because you're not able to have a physical graduation right now. Maybe some of you are frustrated because you don't have as much money as you would want. Maybe some of you are in the situation where you're looking around saying, I don't know what I'm going to do next. Can I give you some good news, young people? Whenever you're at the place of your emptiness, you ought to praise God. Whenever you're at the place of your emptiness, you ought to lean into your relationship with God because God is going to show up and show off and show out in your situation because he's greatest when you're at your emptiest. He's he's the most powerful when you're at your lowest. He's strongest when you are at your weakest. God is full wherever you're empty. I hope you realize this. I hope you cling to this, but I have another statement for you. Yes, God is full wherever you're empty, but I got another statement for you. It's a conditional statement. Hang on to your seats. Don't throw the phone at me. But listen to me, God is full wherever you're empty, and also, God is full only as long as you're empty. God is full wherever you're empty, but God is also full only as long as you're empty. This is the thing I love about Jesus. Anybody can come to Jesus. You realize that, right? The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Come as you are, regardless of what you bring. There is fullness available to you. Anybody can come to Jesus. There's just one singular condition. Anyone is welcome to come to Jesus as long as you're in need. Anyone is welcome to come to the foot of the cross. Anyone is welcome in the family of God as long as you are in a deficit. If God is good enough to supply our needs, we have to be honest enough to admit that we have a need. Let me say that again. If God is going to be good enough for us to supply our needs, then we have to be honest enough to admit that we have a need. I don't know when it became cool for us to act like we have it all together. I don't know when it became kosher for Christians to walk around and act like our lives have no cracks and no flaws. 
I don't see that when I look in the scriptures. When I look in the scriptures, I see some messed up people. When I look in the scriptures, I see some people who had some hangups. I think about Abraham. I mean, think about it. Abraham went outside the plan of God and slept with his assistant, slept with his servant, slept with his concubine, Hagar, and produced a seed outside, uh, outside of the air that God was calling him to do. I, I think about the fact that David, David slept with another man's wife and then had her husband killed. I think about the fact that Peter denied Jesus. I think about the fact that Paul was killing Christians. I think about all these people throughout the scriptures. And I sit back and I say, when did it become cool for us to act like we had it all together? Now, I don't know who made that cool, but I'm just going to be honest enough to admit that ain't my way. That's not what I'm on because there are some times in my life. And, and if I'm going to be honest enough with you, it's just us here. There's some times right now in my life where I got to be honest enough to say, I need something, God. I'm not I'm not going to act like I got it all together. I'm not going to act like I'm pristine and put together and I don't need no help. Can I, can I break it down further for you? Listen to this. There's a thin line between positive declarations and provision disqualifications. Hold up. Let, let me say it again. There's a thin line between positive declarations and provision disqualifications. Let, let me break it down. You see, our world is on this positive vibes only tip. You, you know what I'm talking about? Our world is saying we're going to overcome by positive statements, by the power of positive thinking. And, and don't get me wrong, some of that stuff is good and it helps us to overcome negative self-talk and I'm all for that. But the church has co-opted that and now all we do is we speak positive. So we start saying declarations that we don't really believe, that ain't really true. But the truth of the matter is we say them because we think that's what God wants us to hear. And, and, and you know, the reality is I know it sounds good to say I'm, I'm too blessed to be stressed, but if you stress... You better go to the one who can relieve your stress. If you if you down, you better go to the one who can lift up your head. And, and I know it's good and it's aspirational and that's great. But the truth of the matter is God does not operate like that. God, why would you approach an omniscient God and look at him and say, I don't need nothing. I'm good, God. The reality is if God is omniscient, then he's already seen your bank statement. If God is omniscient, he's already seen the doctor's report. If God is omniscient, he already knows your anxiety. He sees your tears. He bottles them up. He sees that you're lonely. He's going to be the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Why would you act as though you just need to be positive when God is saying you better act like you have a need? See, that's why my Bible says, Psalm 34, 18, God is near to the brokenhearted. Not the people who act like they got it all together. That's why my Bible says, Mark 2, 17, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but it's the sick. That's why my Bible says, Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. There's a difference between a positive declaration, all good, but I don't want it to turn into a provision disqualification. I don't want to be disqualified from receiving what God has for me because I'm too proud and arrogant not to admit that I have a need. C.S. Lewis, I love this statement. C.S. Lewis, he says this. He says, we come to God. We should come to God with what is in us, not what ought to be in us. We should come to God with what really resides in us, not what we think God wants to hear, not what we think will make us look impressive. I'm going to tell you right now, 
Once you start serving God enough, you lose the veneer of needing to be impressive to other people. If other people think I'm great, cool. If they think I'm terrible, cool. Because only one person's opinion matters. That's the one who sits on the throne and the one who has the fullness for my emptiness. My God, I know this is an empty room, but I feel like preaching up in here because the old folks used to say, I'm not going to sing it. I'm not going to mess up your ears. But some of you know when the spirit really got moving, they used to say, I need thee. Oh, I need thee every hour. I need thee. See, we got to get back to that. We got to get back to what has got us through. And sometimes God is saying, you need to admit you don't have it all together. God has fullness for our emptiness. That's what he says. Go back home. There's fullness for your emptiness. Who am I talking to? I want to move on. But the truth is, I know this is recorded earlier. This is not an active moment. But for those of you who are feeling empty right now, I just want you to lift up your hands. I just want you to lift up your hands. We're going to pause here. We're going to pause for the cause. I want you to lift up your hands if you're feeling empty. If you're like, hey, I feel completely lost. I feel completely empty. I feel completely in a deficit. And I need some help. I need some help. I want you to say, God, I need you. God, I need you. I'm not playing. I'm not going to put on the veneer. I'm not going to put on a front. I'm not going to act good. I'm not going to look good in front of other people. God, I need you. There are some people right now, millennials, Gen Z, if you're honest with yourself, you know you need God. You've tried it on your own. There are some college students. You've tried it on your own. It ain't working. Come back home. Come back home. There's all the belonging and the fulfillment that you need. Say, God, I need you. Father God, right now, wherever they are, whoever is struggling, whoever is at the end of their rope, whoever is addicted, whoever is so frustrated, whoever feels like they're not going to be able to get out, I pray that your supernatural fullness would meet the need of their emptiness. God, I pray that your supernatural provision would meet the need of their human lack. God, I pray that you would move mightily on their behalf, God. I pray we wouldn't be too prideful, that we wouldn't be too worried about how people are perceiving us. I pray, God, that we'd be able to cry out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. And God, I pray that you would be full in the lives of everyone who is empty in Jesus' name. Come on, why don't you give God a hand clap of praise? I'm not done, but let's still give God some praise. Okay, so first of all, we see we need to go back home because there is fullness for our emptiness. But then, number two, and I'm out of your hair, we need to go back home because there is acceptance for our abandonment. There is acceptance for our abandonment. Now, to truly understand this, we have to go back to the top of this chapter. At the top of this chapter, the Pharisees are looking at Jesus, and Jesus is going through. He's basically doing a city-to-city tour Uh, with his disciples. He's going to stop in at different cities and he's eating with them. He's preaching the good news. He's healing people. And the Pharisees make an observation. These religious leaders, they say this, Luke chapter 15, verses one and two, they say, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them, judgmentally telling the people around them, judgmentally saying to themselves that Jesus has a strange group of people around him 
Jesus has some unlikely people around him. And in response to this, Jesus tells three parables. The last of the parables is the one we're looking at now. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And within the context, Jesus is trying to communicate prophetically and subversively to the Pharisees. He's trying to uproot their ideas, their preconceived notions about how the kingdom of God is supposed to work. He's trying to send a not-so-subtle message that for everyone who has spent their lives trying to build the kingdom of God around abandonment and rejection, I'm going to come and I'm going to introduce some radical acceptance. I'm going to introduce some radical grace and mercy. I'm going to come and introduce an open table for anyone to come and sit down at a seat. And, and you're going to see in this passage and you're going to see throughout the entirety of Jesus telling parables that Jesus is always using the parables to make a point. Look, look at Luke chapter 15 verse 16. It says here that after the young man had lost all of his wealth after he had squandered it on wild living and after he had realized that he was in need, he started to get a job part-time by feeding some pigs. And look at what it says in Luke chapter 15, verse 16. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Look at this. No one gave him anything. When the young man had wealth, when he had his inheritance, when he had his assets, when he had fun, when he had the promise of greater things, he was applauded. He probably had a great crowd around him. You know, interpretations of this particular parable have showed that he had a company of friends until he lost all of his money. I'll never forget this animated story, this animated story of the prodigal son. And I'll never forget how all of his friends were with him at first and then slowly but surely as his money bag got lighter and lighter, more and more friends would, would slip away. More and more friends would go to the next friend. More and more friends would leave him behind. And it's a picture of abandonment. Have you ever been abandoned? Really and truly, have you ever been abandoned? Have you ever been left by yourself? Have you ever realized that the people who should have been around you are no longer with you? The truth is, this man was in need but nobody could recognize his need, or if they saw it, they didn't care enough to give him anything to eat. It's a picture of abandonment, and unfortunately, many of us have been abandoned, not just by the world, not just by the culture around us, but many of us have been abandoned even by the church. I just want to throw this out there to you because I don't know where you're watching from. I don't know your situation and your story, but, but you know, someone has said that church hurt is the worst hurt, right? Someone has said that the pain of the people of God, the way that you feel, it feels deeper, it cuts harder, it cuts deeper than the other pain that you would feel because you expect your worldly friends to act the way that they act. You expect people in your society to act however they feel they should act, but you don't expect the people who claim to name the name of Jesus, you don't expect them. You don't expect them to act this way. And I just want to reach out. My heart has been on this passage as it relates to people who feel abandoned by religious leaders, who feel abandoned by the church. And I just want to say that there is acceptance for you. You see, sometimes when we talk about tradition, sometimes we're not addicted, addicted to tradition. Sometimes we're not committed to tradition. We're actually addicted to traditionalism. 
Sometimes we've taken the traditions of our cultural preferences and we baptize biblical language on them and we started to exclude other people and we started to push other people away and we look around and we say, yeah, you could come into the, into the kingdom of God, but you got to look different. You got to talk different. You got to dress different. We try to clean people up before they even get in the door. We try to say, I don't really, really want to hang with you because if I'm seen with you, what are my Christian friends going to think if I'm seen hanging with someone who's in need, seen hanging with someone who I can learn from, seen hanging with someone who has some hangups that I don't have or they don't have. And the truth of the matter is we have replicated this culture of abandonment and rejection and it's anti-Christ and it's anti-kingdom of God because God's kingdom is a kingdom of radical acceptance. And let me give you just a little hint. If God's kingdom was not a kingdom of radical acceptance, you wouldn't be in. If God's kingdom was not a kingdom of radical grace and mercy, I wouldn't be in. And we have to remember that God does not want us to abandon people. He rather wants us to accept them. Notice what the father does when the son gets back. When the son decides he's going to go back home. Notice what the father says, Luke chapter 15, verse 22. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. You, you see, this is interesting because when he was out with the people who were going to abandon him, he found nothing. But when he went back home to his father, he found everything. The one who accepts you is greater than all the people who have abandoned you. The one who accepts you is greater than all the people who have abandoned you. I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but the truth of the matter is that acceptance, it produces a sense of hope in us. But abandonment, it tears down our hope. It makes us feel as though we are hopeless. And I don't know who's feeling hopeless right now because you feel isolated, because you feel like nobody is with you, because you feel like God wouldn't accept you. Because you've, you've been told by the people of God that you don't match the qualifications for forgiveness. Remember that the qualifications for coming to Jesus are only that you have to admit that you are in need. That's it. That's all. And you can come in. Come as you are. But the reality is many, many times we have pushed people away. And I want to give some hope to some people today. I want to give some hope to you who are watching. Perhaps you've gone through something. Maybe you're not even far from God. Maybe you're close to God, but you've gone through some personal rejection and abandonment. Perhaps you've been pushed away by family members or, or, or relatives or, or friends or loved ones, and you're looking around and you're saying, I feel empty. I feel like there's no hope. I feel rejected. I feel abandoned. It's really interesting that the conduit, the, the way, the subtext of how this is being communicated and how the tension is playing out, it's between the Pharisees and it's between Jesus because the Pharisees say that Jesus allows certain people to eat with him. And Jesus welcomes them into his table. And here in the end of the parable, in verse 22, it says that the father, or verse 23, it says the father says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Eating is the symbolism, right? The table is the symbolism of acceptance. And here the Pharisees are saying, don't let these people into the table. And Jesus is saying, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's eat for all these people who are supposedly sinners. All these people who are now going to be recipients of my grace and my mercy and the privileges of my kingdom. He's saying, I accept you. I accept you. And whenever I think about a, a table and a banquet, Whenever I think about radical acceptance, 
It's interesting, I remember this story, and it's the story of, a, of an older woman in a church, and she invited her pastor over because she was diagnosed with a terminal illness, and she knew she only had a couple of months to live, and so while she was still lucid and sane, while she still had all of her faculties, she said, Pastor, I want you to come over because I want you to be handling all of my affairs. I want you to handle my funeral. I want to tell you what I want to hear sung. I want to tell you who you should acknowledge. I want to go through the rut of program and what I'm going to wear. And she was really planning for her homegoing ceremony. And, and the pastor takes all these notes and he gets ready to leave. And she says, hang on, just one more thing. And the pastor says, what's that? She said, I, I want you to bury me with a fork in my right hand. And the pastor looks around and says, huh? I mean, imagine, that's probably the wildest thing you've ever heard. That's probably the most outrageous request that, that I've ever heard someone say. And the pastor says, why do you want a fork in your right hand? She said, well, you know, whenever we would have a picnic or a potluck or whenever we would have a dinner, you know, at, at some point in time at the end of the dinner, they would clear out all of the plates they clear out the plates, but then one of the servers would lean over and would say, keep your fork. And whenever someone would say, keep your fork, I knew that there was some chocolate cake coming. I knew that there was an apple crisp coming. I knew that there was some red velvet cake coming. I knew that there was some cheesecake coming. And I know that, that, that for some people, this will be a, a terrible occasion. This will be a frustrating, saddening occasion to see me pass on. But I know I'm going to the arms of my father. And in the arms of my father, I want to keep my fork because the best is yet to come. Do you hear what I just said? The best is yet Yet to come, and I think God is saying, I radically accept you. And when I radically accept you, I want you to come with fork in hand, I want you to come with knife in hand, I want you to come ready to eat and feast upon my goodness. I want you to come and be ready to, to, to dine at the table at the banquet of what I have for you. It is overflowing with goodness and all the acceptance you ever needed, all the validation you ever needed, but never got all the satisfaction and the fulfillment. It is right here. At at my table, you better keep your fork. And here, the father looks at the son and he says, I prepared a table for you. And God is looking at you and said, I prepared a table for you. The supper of the lamb, the feast, the place where you will truly be accepted, the place of eternal fulfillment, eternal belonging and rest. Come back home. Go back home, number one, because there's fullness for your emptiness. Go back home because, number two, there is acceptance for your abandonment. I just want to welcome you again. Come back home. There's fullness. There's stores and provisions that you know not of. There's acceptance and welcome and satisfaction and grace and mercy that is lavish and scandalous. Does not matter what you have done. Does not matter what you're doing right now does not matter because the truth is God welcomes you home. Father, we acknowledge your presence in this place. On this live stream, we thank you for the radical truth, the radical acceptance that you offer us, for the people who have gone far from you, for the people who have left you, for the people who have left to go their own way, for the people who have embraced their own ideology, their own way of living, for the people who have tried their own thing and are realizing they have come to the end of themselves. God, I pray right now that you would welcome us all back home. Even those of us who preach, teach, sing, those of us who, who clap, those of us who shout on a Sunday, 
Those of us who perform religion, we still need to come back home. There are wayward parts of our hearts, wayward parts of our souls. I pray, God, that you would remind us that there's fullness for our emptiness. Whatever we are empty in, whatever we have filled ourselves up with, that will not satisfy. God, I pray that you would, you would remind us in this moment that there is fullness in you. And God, I pray for those who have felt abandoned, rejected, alone, pushed off to the side. I pray that you would remind us that there is radical acceptance. God, I pray that we would keep our forks because there is a banquet and that banquet never ends. That banquet will never stop. That banquet has no expiration date. That banquet has an endless storehouse and you've called us to feast. God, I pray that we'd all go back home and we never leave. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, hey, everybody, this is Pastor Tyler, and I just want to extend another thank you for joining us at our NDCC online worship experience. I pray that the worship and the message resonated with you deeply. Hope you're feeling deeply challenged, deeply moved, and now you're deeply even more so curious about this one who we worship, Jesus Christ. I want to hold space for everyone who has perhaps wanted to respond to the message, perhaps in that moment felt a tug, and if there was an altar call, you would have run up to the front. I want to hold space for you. I want to welcome you. Come back home. There's fullness for your emptiness. There's acceptance for your abandonment. And if you want to make that journey, want to take another step back home, I want you to text home to the number at the bottom of the screen. It's symbolic and it's metaphorical, but it's also a practical way for us to connect with you, for us to encourage you on your walk with Jesus. As you are coming to a place of belonging, satisfaction, and fulfillment, there is only one place where you will ultimately be fulfilled, where the thirst in your heart will be quenched, where the hunger in your stomach will be filled. Ultimately, it's at the banquet of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I welcome you to come back home. If you missed an opportunity to give earlier, you can do so at any time by going to ndccpensacola.org, that's our website, and clicking offerings. Generosity is such a big part of what we do because we believe that as God has been generous and gracious with us, we should be generous and gracious back to him and to others as well. So you can do that at any time, even if you're watching throughout the week, ndccpensacola.org. I thank you so much again for joining us here at New Dimensions. And again, we are going to continue next week our series, Back to the Future. I'm really excited for where God is taking us, examining the go-backs of the scripture to see where God would have us in this new moment. So I hope you'll join us right here, same time, same place next week, right here at New Dimensions, where our destiny is helping you to unlock your destiny. Have a safe, happy, and healthy week.